followers of Jesus are called to be ready for the return of Jesus by faithfully managing the riches and responsibilities God has given us in the kingdom. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Scriptures assure us that Jesus, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? We're told in the book of Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, Jesus was ascending back into heaven. And the scripture tells us, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now some people think, sure, sure, he's coming again. You know, we've been waiting a very, very long time now, and he hasn't come and come back yet. Why should we believe that Jesus is really coming again, that he's going to come back in the same way that he ascended into heaven? Because he said he's going to, right? Well, people today, they scoff. People scoff at his return. But I want you to know that that's nothing new scoffing at his return. Listen to what Peter, the Apostle Peter, says about scoffers in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So yes, Jesus is coming again. But, but ask, Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? Perhaps you're asking, well, 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 how can I be ready? How can I be ready for Jesus coming again? Well, I want you to know we don't have to guess about that because the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us how we can be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're continuing here in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, putting them together for one flowing account of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been following an order as suggested in this book, One Perfect Life, by John MacArthur. Today, then, we're looking here at this. Are you ready? Are you ready? We'll be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 13, 9. That's Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through chapter 13, verse 9. And say, well, what's the big idea? What's the main point that I want us to take away from the message here today? Well, it is this, that followers of Jesus are called to be ready for the return of Jesus by faithfully managing the riches and responsibilities God has given us in the kingdom. All need to be ready, but as for followers of the Lord Jesus, we can be ready by faithfully managing or stewarding all that God has entrusted to us, the riches he's given us, and the responsibilities that he has given us to fulfill those things. This is how we are ready for his coming. Before we look at our text in Luke chapter 12, a little context here. Uh, many people had gathered around Jesus to hear his teaching, and he warned people to beware of hypocrisy, to fear God, to publicly acknowledge Christ. But then suddenly, someone made a rather impertinent, that is a boldly disrespectful requ request of him as he was speaking. A man called out to him and said, Rabbi, settle this dispute. He was having a dispute with his brother over an inheritance issue. So he wanted Jesus to settle this dispute with his brother here. But Jesus saw through this man's heart, and he saw that this man had a problem with covetousness, with greed. So it became a teachable moment. It became a teachable moment in which Jesus then warns people to beware covetousness, trying to accumulate the things of this life and this world, 
living for the here and the now in this world, to beware that. And yes, God knows we we have needs to trust, to trust in the Father's provision. And instead, not to lay up treasure or build treasure here on earth, but to build treasure in heaven, eternal treasure, treasure that will last forever and ever. Well, next then, Jesus warns people here then to keep alert. Keep alert, watch, because one day he will return to judge all of the earth. He came the first time, this first time, he came as a humble servant in order to do what? To save, to give his life, to save. But when he comes again, will he come as a humble servant then? No, he is coming in great power and glory, and he is coming as the judge, the judge of all the earth. And so we must be ready. Told in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35, Jesus says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Keep those midnight, keep those lights burning, right? And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, listen to this, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But I know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You're not expecting a thief, are you? You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling us this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, 
of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So here, I want to see this command here to be ready, to be ready. Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers, to be ready because he, the Son of Man, he will come at a time they do not expect. And he tells a parable to illustrate this in which there are several servants in a household and these servants are waiting for their master to return. The master has been at a wedding banquet and they must remain. They don't know when he will be back. They know he will be back at some time and so the master expects the, these servants then to be ready, to remain constantly alert and vigilant on the watch because they do not know the hour at which he will return. And so they must watch so that the master of the house may come into the home whenever he might arrive and everything will be ready for him there. So if they are watching and ready, here's an amazing thing. Who serves? Does the servant serve the master or does the master serve the servants? The servants serve the master, right? But Jesus says, oh no, when this master comes, the master will serve the servants. It's a remarkable statement here that the conquering Messiah will serve his servants when he returns. Think about that. So Peter wonders, uh, uh, Jesus, are you talking to just us or or is is this for everybody? Now, why might he ask a question like that? Well, because they were understanding, as Jesus was beginning to speak in parables now, they understood that sometimes he would say things and it was really only intended for them to hear and understand. Whereas other times he would say things that that it it was really for everyone to hear that. And so they're wondering, it's like, wait, is is, is this just for us to know or is, is everybody supposed to hear this and know about this? We know Jesus does not directly answer that question, but if you look at what he says afterwards, I think it's pretty clear. Who is the message for? Is it only for those those disciples then? No, it's for everyone to hear. It's actually not just for every believer of all time to hear. It's for all people of all time to hear. It's for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, to hear these things and to know these things because all must be ready not just the believers must be ready but there are some who are not believers they need to be ready too well how can they be ready if they're not believers by believing by repenting and believing we're going to see that in just a moment here so jesus has in mind believers to be faithfully carrying out their responsibilities But for unbelievers, they need to hear these words and repent in order that they might be ready too. Also, Jesus warns here that those who have been given a great deal of knowledge and insight but fail to believe and obey, they will be judged more harshly than those who do not understand these things about the coming of the Son of Man. I think there's a couple of ways we, can, we look at this and understand this, is that first of all, there are unbelievers who have a great deal of knowledge or understanding about 
God's revelation and God's truth, but nevertheless, they reject that knowledge, they reject that revelation, and they will have to answer for their rejection or their lack of response to that revelation. They will be held more accountable. The more you know, the more they're held accountable. Can you think of a nation on this planet that has been blessed unlike practically any other nation in history and has more information available to it about God and truth and the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and yet is turning its back on that? The judgment for that is much greater than the ones who didn't have that same knowledge. Now there's judgment for both. There's a difference. I think it's also true, though, that among believers within the kingdom of heaven, it is true, though, too, that those believers who have been given more abilities and more responsibilities, they will be more strictly judged and held accountable by God. I think that is true as well. So Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, In one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So Jesus is telling us to be ready, to be ready, but also then he's telling us to expect division. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ, does belief in Jesus Christ have a tendency to divide people, divide families? Now, that's not a pleasant thing, but is it a a realistic thing? It does, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, what, to be Jesus' disciple might mean being rejected by your own family. It might mean being misunderstood by your brother, your sister, your mother, father, your husband, your wife, your children. And Jesus is saying, Jesus didn't come to bring this division, but ultimately, that's the result, isn't it? So ultimately, his ministry then would not bring peace on earth. One day it will. But not right now. It brings not peace, but what? Division. Because some accept him and his words and others don't. They reject him. And so his ministry would be like a fire that devours. And Jesus longs here for the purpose of his ministry to be accomplished. His life and his death would be the basis for judgment of all. And this baptism here that he speaks of, he has a baptism to be baptized with. What is that baptism that he has to be baptized 
it's no doubt it's referring to what? His substitutionary death on the cross. And it would be accomplished. It would be completed. Jesus' coming did, in fact, and does result in the kind of divisions among people, including in families, that he spoke of here, doesn't it? Families have been divided and loyalties broken over the Jesus question or the Jesus issue. Isn't it interesting how a lot of people uh, don't mind talking about spiritual things, spiritual truth, consider themselves spiritual people, don't even mind talking about God, but the minute you say that name, Jesus Christ, what happens? Why is that? Why is that? See, because the Jesus, we can be comfortable thinking spiritual thoughts and, and this vision or idea of God that we might have in our heads. We can be comfortable that, and, and even not threatened by that. But, the, but Jesus, though, and Jesus' claims about, what him, about himself and what he says and the need for people to repent and turn from sin and believe in him and him alone, well, that's just offensive, isn't it? Now, it's the gospel's good news. It's the best news possibly imaginable. But it does ultimately require something people don't want to hear sometimes, and that is what? That you're a sinner, that you're bound for hell, that you need to repent and turn away from that, and you need to turn to the only one who can save you, who is Jesus Christ. People don't like that. They don't want to hear that. That's so closed-minded, isn't it? That's so arrogant. Well, I didn't say it. Who said it? He did, right? He did. Sometimes believers, you may be ostracized. Some of you have from your family or friends. However, to be a disciple of Jesus, one must be willing to undergo such things. And after Jesus spoke directly to his disciples, he then turns his attention to the crowd. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So Jesus tells us we must be ready, we must expect division, but we also must properly interpret the time. See the reality of who we're dealing with and the significance of that life and in his life and his words mean for us. Jesus taught the crowds they must be sensitive to interpret the things they were seeing. Now at that time, what? They had been observing him. They had been observing his ministry. They had been hearing his words. They had been watching the miracles he was performing. And yet so many of them were unable to see that he was truly the Messiah. They were rejecting him 
And so Jesus makes the point, oh, well, you know how to discern the natural signs here. You see the clouds coming. You know that that, that means what? We know that if you look to the west and you see some really dark clouds coming here, what does that mean? Rain. Rain is coming, right? Or you feel a, a breeze coming out of the south in the warm, that, that means like, oh, is it going to be nice and cool? No, it means what? It's going to be hot, right? Well, you know how to interpret that, but you're seeing me, Jesus says, what? but you see me now. You see me fulfilling scripture. You see me doing these miracles. You hear these words that I am speaking to you, and yet you're just like, now, who are you again? Right? Was it for lack of knowledge or lack of information? No. Why were they rejected? It was because it was a heart issue, wasn't it? They refused to believe. Now, I want to ask you, do you think there are people here today that are having trouble? They they can see the signs of the weather and, and that around us, but they don't see. We've had the ultimate sign of the resurrection, right? But still, people are... They don't see. And so Jesus called them to interpret the time and he continues to call the people today to interpret the time and to receive him as the Messiah. Goes on and says in Luke chapter 12, verse 57, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What does he mean? Why does he say that? Well, he says what? We must be ready. We must expect division. We must interpret the time. But we also then, we must make things right. Who must we be sure to make things right with? God. Right? So it's like you're, you, you've got a legal issue and you're going to go to the judge here. Wouldn't it be better to say, rather than standing before the judge, get this thing reconciled you know, beforehand instead of going and standing before the Make an effort to settle it before then. Don't go to the judge. You don't want that. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying what? Make things right with God. When? Now. Don't wait. Make things right with God. Hear this need to settle accounts with another person before undergoing judicial punishment pictures the need then for sinners to be reconciled to God before facing his eternal judgment. Because at that point, it's too late. It's too late to seek reconciliation. Finally then for today, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says, There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he says, what, we must be ready? We must expect division? We must interpret the time? We must make things right with God? But then also we must repent. What's this about Galileans who were, who were killed by Pilate when they were sacrificing at the temple? Or these 18 who were uh, killed by the Tower of Siloam when the Tower of Siloam fell on them and killed them? It's like, what is Jesus saying? Was, was, was one group of people, were they more righteous than the other or were they less righteous? Uh, did, 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 one, did this group, did they, get, did, did they deserve that to happen? Did they do something? Were they guilty of something? Is that why it happened? No, Jesus is saying what? No matter how righteous or unrighteous you are, the reality is, is what? You're going to die. Everybody dies. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, folks, but unless Jesus comes again, and before then, you're going to die. Death has a pretty good track record for us, doesn't it? One to one. one, to one. Not exactly one to one, but it's really close. Because there's two, right? Enoch and Elijah. But if you read the book of Revelation, and depending on how you might interpret that, even they might not, even they might yet die. What are you talking about? Never mind, that's, a, that's another topic for another day, right? Even Jesus died, didn't he? So Jesus is teaching the crowds that calamity could happen to anyone but simply because you're human. And he cites these two instances of sudden destruction. Now we don't know exactly what, you know, what, what, why were these particular Galileans killed by Pilate? Some were thinking maybe perhaps they were Pilate thought that they were being disloyal to Rome or something, that they were rebels. And that's why they were killed. Whereas others, one, the ones who, are, or who were bystanders in Siloam were killed when this tower fell on them. They thought, well, there was a Roman aqueduct there. Maybe they were working on the Roman aqueduct and, it fell, and they, were, they were perceived as being collaborators with Rome. So you've got what? So you've got the, the good guys, the ones who were rebelling against Rome, well, they get killed. And then you've got the, the bad guys, the collaborators with Rome. Well, they get killed too. So what's the, what's the point? Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't matter your loyalties or how supposedly righteous or unrighteous you are. Death is coming for all of us and it can come suddenly, just like that, right? And because of that then, we need to do what? We need to repent. 
and be ready to face the judge. And so Jesus says, you know, death is coming for all of us. And unless you repent, Jesus says, you will perish eternally too. Not just the physical death of the body, but the eternal death, the second death. You don't want that. Only repentance and trust in Christ brings eternal life. So Jesus taught in a parable then, too, that if fruit does not show in a person's life, judgment will come. You see, traditionally, a fig tree required three years to bear figs. But since this one particular one did not produce, the owner said to cut it down. But the vineyard keeper asked him, well, just give it just a little bit more time. Once again, Jesus is illustrating here that the judgment comes on those who do not repent. And there must be fruit in keeping with repentance, right? By the way, I find it interesting. It generally took three years for a fig, uh, for a fig tree to bear figs then. How long was Jesus' earthly ministry? About three years. Had there been fruit of it? Well, some, right? But as a whole, the nation as a whole, had it borne fruit? And he's saying, well, cut it down. Oh, but please, just a, just a little bit more. Okay, a little bit more, but if not, that's it. And what happened 40 years after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ? The tree was cut down, and the nation ceased to exist for nearly 2,000 years. And when all of a sudden it popped back into existence in 1948. Isn't that interesting? But that's a whole other topic that we won't get into all of that here today. Right? So the people of the nation of Israel here, they're being warned to repent and receive their Messiah. They were being given only a little bit more time, but then judgment would fall on them. But just as that was true for the nation as a whole, is that not also true for individuals as well? We have a limited amount of time to repent and believe. So I ask you again, are you ready? Now I want to tell you one thing I can't guarantee. I cannot guarantee that Jesus will return in your lifetime. He may, or he may not. And you know what? A lot of people have made big fools of themselves trying to predict the date of Jesus' return, haven't they? It never ceases to amaze me. Is it every, you just, like clockwork, these people come out with like, here's the latest prediction for when Jesus is going to return. And I sit there and I just kind of scratch my head and I'm thinking, have you read the scriptures, right? And they're, they're doing it because they, oh yeah, I've read the scriptures, I've calculated, I've done all that. Well, I said, have you read all of the scriptures which declare who knows when this is going to happen? Nobody, only, Jesus said, only the Father knows. Now, I think he knows, Jesus the Son knows too when he ascended into heaven. That's another topic. We won't get into all that here right now and, and all of that. But, the point is nobody on earth knows. And yet people make all, I mean, down to the very date on a calendar, like the month, date and month, year, everything. 
what is the matter with these people, right? Yeah, it's going to be Wednesday, September 8th, uh, 2027 or something like that, right? Now, don't go and see if September 27th and 2020 is a a Wednesday. I don't know. I'm just making that up, right? (laughs) So the point is we don't know. I cannot guarantee you that Jesus is going to return in your lifetime. Nobody can. I can't guarantee you that. But because he may not return in your lifetime, you would be very, very foolish to think then, well, I don't need to think about it. I don't need to worry about any of this. Because, no, he may not return in your lifetime. But here's one thing I can guarantee. Here's something I absolutely can guarantee. Whether he returns in your lifetime or not, I guarantee that you will stand before him as your judge. He may not come to you here on earth in your lifetime, but you absolutely will go to him. When? When you die. I'm hearing that ring indicating here that somebody's door alarm is going off. Somebody's at the door. Someone's coming, right? Yeah. Who has a visitor at your door? I heard the ring. I know that tone. I know that wind chime tone, right? Right? Somebody's at the door. When you die, you will stand before him. And if you do not know him as your Savior, you will stand before him as the holy and the just judge of all of the universe. And if you are not hidden in him and his gift of righteousness through faith in him, you will be righteously judged for your sin and you will be forever separated from him in hell. Those are not pleasant things to think about, but it's what the word of God declares. And you will be forever tormented by the knowledge and the guilt and the presence of your sin amid his consuming fire of judgment. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone here. I want you, I want all of us to be ready. How can I be ready, you ask? How can I be ready? Well, first and foremost, how can I be ready? By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting of sin, putting your trust in him and the perfect life of obedience to the law of God that he lived by taking the judgment for our sin upon himself, by dying, being buried, and rising again and assuring us that he is coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to resurrect our bodies. He's going to judge all the earth and then he's going to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. How can you be ready? First of all, by making things right with God. And how do you, I would say, you and I, we don't make things right with God. God has made, right, made things right with us and we need to what? Accept that, believe that. Trust in Christ is the first off. But then the other thing would be to stand firm in Christ. No matter the opposition that may come. Now I know, and again, this is a topic for another time. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely, absolutely perfectly normal that sometimes we struggle with, with doubts, don't we? That's a part of our process, and, and, and we can talk about that. People have doubts. Many of us 
probably all of us that want to have, have struggled with doubts. But God is good and he consistently proves himself faithful to us. If we will cling to him, stand firm in him, persevere in him. How can I be ready? By trusting in Christ, by standing firm, persevering in Christ. And then also then, by how, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully managing the resources and abilities and calling that you have been given in Christ. God has given you spiritual gifts and abilities to use for the building up of the church. He's given you and me a calling, a task, what? To proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. So how can I be ready? How can you be ready for the return of Jesus? Whether he comes in your lifetime or not, we're all gonna go to him. If he doesn't come in our lifetime, we're gonna go to him at the end of our lifetime, won't we? Trust in him, repent from sin and trust in him. Stand firm in him, persevere in him, and then be a faithful steward or manager of the resources and the calling on your life in Christ. That's being ready. So what do you want me to do? I would remind his followers of Jesus then are called to be ready for the return of Jesus by faithfully managing the riches and responsibilities that God has given us in the kingdom. So how do I apply this? Get ready. Get ready. Trust in him. Persevere in him. Manage all he has given you well for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can have hope, eternal hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there is someone here who has heard this word, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict them and show them that he, that she, can have hope and eternal life in Jesus. Convict them of sin, the rebellion that we're all guilty of, Lord. Repent, turn away from it, change your mind about that, Turn away from that and embrace confidence and trust in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the law where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. In Adam, we inherited corruption. In Jesus, we inherit life and righteousness. May we turn from sin, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did for us, received that gift of forgiveness and perfect righteousness and that eager hope and the expectation of one day of the resurrection of the body and to rule and reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you for that hope. May we be found ready, Lord. May we trust in him. May we persevere in him. May we manage well all that he has given us. May we be found faithful should he come today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.